You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 65, Stranger Things. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Fidelity, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here talking about the very, very popular Netflix show, Stranger Things. And I am so happy to report that season three is back in its true form. I, I felt like season two had a little bit of some hiccups, and I really like where this new season has taken the show and the characters that we all love. So great to be back talking about this show. Well, you know, and, and we talk about shows that have a lot of buzz surrounding them. And, and of course, Game of Thrones is one of the more of recent vintage. But Stranger Things, I mean, everywhere I go, people are, are you psyched for Stranger Things? Uh, it's, you know, it's in July. Like, yeah, I know. I'll, I'll be ready. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, because there's a lot of shows that sometimes the different writers at Den of Geek jockey for position to write or review or whatever like that. And I remember Stranger Things was proposed to me back when I was much lower man on the totem pole. I still am low man on the totem pole, but back then, uh, Stranger Things was a completely unknown quantity and they just put it, it showed up on my desk and I reviewed it and I'm like, this thing is awesome. And I immediately became a fan. And of course now it's no secret. Everyone loves it. So it's a little bit of an interesting uh, take out there though, Dave, do you notice that sometimes people who maybe weren't born at a certain time or I don't know if there's a common thread, think that a lot of the narrative flaws and the big giant plot holes that you could drive a truck through are a problem. And yet I, for some reason, think nothing of it and just go along with the fun of the show. Do you notice that it's kind of different in that respect? Well, I do. And again, it's something we've talked about before. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're fine with time travel. You're, you're fine with this young girl who can do all these things with her mind, but, but you got a little problem with the plot hole. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess I view it the same way I would view a movie that aired in the eighties, you know, and the shows back in the eighties had these kind of <laughs> big giant plot holes. So I kind of just enjoy it despite all the different flaws in the logic of the internal logic of the show. And of course the eighties references are right up my alley because I am exactly the right age as these kids were in in that year. So I would have been friends with Dustin and the rest of them. So, <laughs> But for those of you who don't know, I, don't, I can't imagine there aren't a, a bunch of Stranger Things fans already in our audience. But of course, the history of the show, Stranger Things, took Netflix audiences by storm in the summer of 2016 by making viewers feel like they sort of discovered a lost horror movie from the 1980s with its unapologetic nods to existing properties like Firestarter, Alien, I saw a bit of Stand By Me in there, some Goonies, some Back to the Future in this season, and even more than that. But they even went so far as to cast adult actors that people kind of associate with the 80s, like Winona Ryder, Matthew Modine, Paul Reiser in season two, Sean Astin also in season two, and and of course that carried through with Carrie Elwes here in season three and, and some others. So definitely a show that banks heavily on nostalgia. Right. And it goes way beyond just the music and the clothes and the car. There's that feel, as you alluded to a few minutes ago, that, that it's just so familiar and it's just, it was a great time. And it's a brilliant bit of casting. And I think that 
was known from the very start, these child actors that have since, of course, become household names in their own right as they become teenagers. <laughs> it's just been great to see this whole journey that they've had. But the premise of the show, of course, is that in Hawkins, Indiana, uh, a government program that messed with MK Ultra, which is a real you know program, <laughs> experimenting with psychic powers to spy on the Soviets. And they've created this telekinetic girl known as Eleven. But her efforts in season one opened a portal to another dimension that is kind of side by side with ours, but populated with fierce creatures. The Demogorgon is who we saw in season one, the Demodogs and the Mind Flayer in season two. And the Mind Flayer makes a reappearance here in season three, but in a whole new form. And it's now because a, a portion of it anyway, got trapped on our side of the breach that L was able to close last season. And Eleven is trying to adjust to normal life, but the consequences of opening the upside down just keep coming back time and again after a short passage of time, usually because the government programs poke their head again into it and try to exploit the upside down as a weapon. So it's one of those things that the people of Hawkins, Indiana remarkably adjust to normal life and then get thrown right back into the fray again. (laughs) Right. And you know, that's one of the things I was feeling about the first two episodes. And I even mentioned to you, does it get, and I know I said, does it get better? And you like, oh yeah. And and what I meant by that is it just didn't feel like the stranger things that we all know. It was really good because we really got to see these kids just trying to be regular kids after everything they went through. And it, and it was really poignant. There were a lot of just really touching scenes, but I kept waiting for the sci-fi stuff, you know? Yeah, they do spend some time on intro and that's because it's an eight episode series each season, but it plays like a eight hour movie, very much more so than some other series on Netflix. And so in that sense, there is a lot of exposition and, and there have been some critics that have called the show out on that. So, but at the start of season three, we do get to see a little bit of action because we see this Russian plot. They're trying to break through to the other dimension using a machine. They fail. And this young scientist who we later find out is named Alexi is given one year to fix it. And in Hawkins, the rats are going to a steelworks, an abandoned steelworks and sort of exploding <laughs> in the concrete. And so, you know, there's a definitely something going on that's supernatural in a way. And we're certainly going to hold to our regular formula here in our discussion by discussing the first two episodes. Uh, but we will be sharing some overall impressions in the spoiler zone for those of you who have seen the entire series. But by the end of episode two, we do learn that the Russians new operation has got to be inside this star court mall. Cause doesn't Robin notice that, the mall music is playing in the background of the code that she's trying to figure out. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and then of course the side plot being that the star court mall is causing the demise of businesses downtown, which sets off some other side plots as well. So the way we're going to discuss this, Dave, is we're going to talk about the different character groups because we do get different team ups like we always do. And the first two episodes do introduce that the first thing that we have to make note of is that before in season two, Will was kind of the vehicle to bring the mind flayer to our world. But this season, Billy, just by pure happenstance and 
being geographically close to the steelworks that I mentioned is the one that gets pulled in by the mind flayer to become of our villain basically, which is very befitting of this much maligned character from season two. <laughs> Although I'm not sure the moms at the pool would agree with that. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That lifeguard scene, which was released early kind of raised some eyebrows because it has been very funny to see Billy and Karen, the wheelers mom, kind of flirting a little bit back and forth. Billy's got a thing for older women, but it's also a little bit creepy. <laughs> I have to say that's okay. Yeah. But uh, Billy does, you know, rule everything during the summer as the lifeguard, because of course this does take place in the summer. Fourth of July is the holiday, the same way Halloween was last season. And so Billy wants to meet up with Karen at the motel six to give her some pointers on her breaststroke and other things like that. But while she gets dolled up, we see Billy kind of practicing in the mirror of his, of his car. And he kind of swerves out of the way of something in the road and crashes near this steelworks on the way to the motel and gets dragged in by some very mysterious creature. And of course, this is where I realized that season three was really going to bring those horror elements back in that were present in season two, but weren't as prevalent as I think it was in season one. Yeah. And, you know, again, you talk about plot holes. He crashes his car and it won't start. And then when he eventually gets back in, it starts right up and he drives away. But <laughs> that's uh, straight that's okay. out of the 80s. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, Billy, apparently bitten by a rat, switches to the upside down at one point, And the mind flayer speaks to him through kind of a doppelganger of himself. I need you to build what you see. And in episode two, he's seen drinking pool chemicals when Karen apologizes for not showing up at the motel. Thank goodness she had a, had second thoughts. But he's having a hard time under the sun because, of course, the creatures of the Upside Down prefer cold. And in the shower, he continues to hear voices, take me to him. And the interpretation that Billy has of that is to take the lifeguard to the Mind Flayer's reconstructed body as it tries to build itself out of rat bodies. Now it's time to start building himself out of human parts. Very gruesome. Yeah, and this was a a plot point that was a little confusing to me that I assume will be made more clear as as it progresses. The whole idea of Billy as the mind flayer and what's being asked of him, because I'm not sure I made all those connections. Yeah, I, I think it does become more clear, but there is a lot left up to interpretation. My feeling about it is the rats are eating the fertilizer. Billy is drinking the pool chemicals to prepare their bodies to become part of the mind flare. Billy kind of has a special status, but all of the other victims that are drawn in, including this lifeguard girl are so that the mind flare can build its body back up to its huge state that we saw in season two. But on this side, boy, the blood and guts, they're not shy with that in this season. <laughs> and uh, the, one of the other main teams that we see is Mike 11, Lucas, Max and will, And of course, Mike and Eleven are obsessed with making out, just like any teenagers would be, much to Hopper's chagrin, of course. And he actually has to scare Mike into staying away from Eleven, which brings about a plot in which he lies to Eleven, causes all kinds of trouble. But Lucas and Max, which are a couple that we saw in season two, are kind of offered up as a counterpoint 
they're more like a, an old married couple and he keeps kind of putting his foot in his mouth. Very comedic, those two. But isn't it interesting that Max, who was set up last season as kind of a point of jealousy for Eleven, thinking that Mike might like her a little bit, is now Eleven's confidant and is helping her find herself by taking her shopping at the mall. Right. And that's one of my favorite sequences in the first two episodes when L basically tells her I've never been shopping. It's almost as if she doesn't understand the concept and then to be taken to the new mall, which, you know, is a plot point unto itself in, in the series. Yeah. But watching her try the clothes on and and the two young women bonding, as you said, the first two episodes for me, what was, the strength was all about the relationships that we got to see. And, you know, you mentioned Hop. How funny is it? He's so upset about them kissing. He knows how powerful she is. <laughs> yet that's not why he's afraid to say anything. He's the normal father of teenagers that doesn't know what he's going to say. And yet I love her. The only time we see her use her power is to shut her door. <laughs> yeah. Or to spy on the boys, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But <laughs> the cool thing about those guys is that the dumping of Mike is part of Eleven kind of asserting her own identity not just buying clothes and material, things like that. So kind of a independent woman thing going on. And it really plays well with this powered individual that has been with us since the very beginning. But you know, the other part of that group is will and will has a very interesting arc this season, but in these first two episodes, he just wants to play D and D like in the old days. Um, and also of course, he's the one that gets the chills on the back of his neck that indicate that the mind flayer is still at play because that's the same feeling he got in season two. Yeah. And you know, you, you really feel sorry for will because he is odd man out in, in this group now. Yep. They're growing up. They have interests in other things and he's just wanting to kind of recapture their youth and, and stay young and have the same kind of fun they used to have. So and that kind of comes into play with the third group as well before it gets started, because Dustin is also left out a bit, but he was left out in season two as well. And I think the Duffer brothers must have realized that the combination of Dustin and Steve was magic. <laughs> so they wanted to do it again this this year as well. And it worked out really well, I think. Well, Dustin's too busy hawking Verizon wireless, I think. Yeah, he does do a lot of product placement, doesn't he? <laughs> but uh, Dustin starts out coming home from nerd camp. <laughs> He's met a girl named Susie, who's a Mormon from Utah, so she has no phone. Sounds very suspicious, and as a result, no one believes that she really even exists. But they help him anyway, set up Cerebro, this massive ham radio antenna on the top of a nearby hill. And you want to talk about Chekhov's gun, you know that's going to come into play. And in fact, does come into play even as early as episode two with the Russian code intercept. Oh yeah. And, and of course that's Robin's cue to become super involved in, in the storyline. Right. Uh, you think that, how are they going to work in Steve and Robin who are just working at scoops Ahoy in the mall, the ice cream place, not really having that much fun doing it, not really getting along that well. There's kind of a playful banter, where Steve tries to flirt with the girls that show up, but he's got this goofy sailor uniform on and Robin's kind of keeping score on the dry erase board of how often he fails at his, at his pickup lines. So it's kind of a great dynamic, even from the start before they get started with the adventure. <laughs> Pretty much all the time. 
he fails. <laughs> yeah. But she does kind of get into the whole code breaking thing and is instrumental in, in doing that by the end of episode two. So definitely was anxious to see how that would play out because it's very separate. Uh, half the people are dealing with the Russians. Half the people are dealing with the mind flayer itself. And some people are dealing with the mall and, and things that are happening around it. And in fact, Nancy and Jonathan, who are always paired up together in season one and season two, always separate from the group. And I really like that about their storylines, even though it does always end up tying in. So it's really great that Nancy and Jonathan are working together as high school graduates at the local newspaper, the Hawkins Post. He's a photographer. She's a glorified servant getting sandwiches and she wants to be the next great writer. So she pitches a story about the death of downtown because of the mall. And she's laughed at by the boys club, you might say at the paper and among them, a great casting choice, Jake Busey, who plays Bruce. And he's just such a bully. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to give him a pass since he was in starship troopers, but (laughs) yeah, I think they're also trying to evoke Gary Busey, his father a little bit, who's associated with the eighties. And he kind of looks a lot like his dad anyway. (laughs) Oh yeah. But Nancy gets a late night tip and takes Jonathan out on assignment. There's a Mrs. Driscoll who says that she swears there are rats eating her fertilizer. And doesn't that seem strange? And she has caught one in a cage and this thing is going nuts. So even we at that point are wondering what the heck is going on. But, but the really gruesome thing that happens at the end of episode two is that the rat explodes and oozes out of its cage before Jonathan can get a good picture of it. So this is something that obviously will play out and uh, we'll talk a little bit about our, our impressions in the spoiler zone, but there's that great hospital horror that takes place later when they visit Mrs. Driscoll again later in the, in the season. So Nancy and Jonathan have another great arc. They, they never fail to impress with their storyline. And last but not least, we have Hopper and Joyce who are being paired up somewhat. We kind of had to take a hiatus from the idea of them as a couple during season two, because Bob Newby was around played by Sean Astin. But you know, Joyce is working in this ghost town downtown at the general store. And so she spends her time giving advice to hop about Mike and 11 and even scripts for him, this heart to heart that he should have with them, which he totally fails, but he thinks because he's intimidated Mike that he's won. And so for his victory dance, he wants to take Joyce out on a date. And of course he gets stood up because Joyce has her mind on some other things that are intriguing, including magnets falling off of her fridge, which (laughs) got to give Joyce credit for honing in on the tiny details. Right. And and that's the same science teacher from previous seasons, right? That she meets up with. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Clark. Okay. Yeah. He's the AV club uh, sponsor. (laughs) Right. But uh, yeah, it's interesting too. I have seen some criticism about the fact that Joyce makes such a mountain out of a molehill, but of course the whole bagnet thing wouldn't have made sense if it was season one, but by season three, she is sensitive to strange goings on in Hawkins. And it's kind of cool that when she notices the magnets falling off and she talks to Mr. Clark, who kind of just says, oh no, you're just making connections where there aren't any. He does say, but if you were to do it, if you could get this massive power source and when you turn it on, 
it might create this effect that demagnetizes all the local magnets with the electromagnetic force of this giant power source. So she immediately suspects the government is back to its old patterns of secret work somewhere and, and wants to go check out the, uh, the now closed down Hawkins lab. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't she, given that it wasn't all that long ago that she had her entire house papered with <laughs> drawings that eventually had some meaning? But yeah, she's seen a lot. Right. And even though this series has taken place over the course of four years, uh, 2016, 17, and 19, the show has done 1983, 1984, and now July of 1985. So only one year has passed each time. Uh, in fact, I think it's been less than... Uh, around eight or 10 months since the Halloween occurrences of last season. So yeah, who can blame her? So, and of course there's a, a small pl- side plot with Hopper and the mayor because mayor's taking a lot of flack about the mall from protesters who think that downtown businesses are dying and wants Hopper to handle it. And they use a little bit of blackmail back and forth to get things done. <laughs> and both of them know each other's secrets. So that's a nice little side plot as well. But Obviously, there's a lot we could talk about with Stranger Things, and we can't go over every single episode, all eight episodes, but we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back into the spoiler zone where we can share some overall impressions of some of the story arcs for some of the characters. You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right, Dave, we're going to go over some questions and impressions that we have. And the first one I'm going to pose to you. Do you think Eleven uses her powers a bit frivolously by spying on the boys in the void of that that mind space that she goes into? Because I thought that whole thing that she did where she did a sensory deprivation and, and then went into that void was linked to the upside down somehow. Isn't that dangerous? Well, it, it is, but I think we have to understand where she's coming from in that she essentially is learning from scratch everything from shopping at the mall to relationships with boys, relationship with girls. She's got a, a, a real father now. So when we talk about using things frivolously, even her powers, I, I think we have to consider. Yeah, I guess that's just part of being a teenager at this point. Uh, like you said, closing doors, but also moving the toys around when Dustin gets back from camp to kind of scare him. Very E.T. like scene that they that they did there. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And then, of course, the mind flare is portrayed as wanting to rebuild his body with the rats and with the different recruits that Billy is able to get in order to get to Eleven because She's the only one who can stop him. So that makes sense. You know, the mind flayer would want to take out the only person who has any chance of keeping him from, I guess, taking over this world the same way he did in his own dimension. And the battles with the brain sucker tentacles, they're cool and all that. But the one question I have is there towards the end with the battle that she has, she gets attacked with one of the little sucker tentacles. She gets a, little slug that reminded me very much of the little slug that was in will at the end of season one that he coughed up as the cliffhanger (laughs) leading into season two. And then she loses her powers. So that's one of the big aspects of season three 
as she leaves with the buyers is what's she going to do now that she has no powers at all? And is the reason she lost her powers because of contact with the mind flayer? And I know you probably don't have an answer for that, but isn't that interesting that the powers were lost just after she got attacked with this tentacle from the mind flayer? Well, well, it is. And my first reaction, and I know you said that because, you know, I haven't seen that far, but, you know, we've seen other individuals of her ilk that have awesome powers like that. And for whatever reason, they drain their powers and they're still learning how to use them. They're still learning how they work. And so I don't know, is she going to recharge, so to speak? Yeah, and I think that's probably where they're headed with this. I think definitely they just wanted to use it as a conflict maybe for season four. But just thought that was interesting, especially since, you know, she got that slug out of her leg using her powers. Then she tosses the car. So she hasn't lost her powers quite yet. And so it's hard to figure out when she lost her powers and why she lost her powers. But I I think it has something to do with that, that contact with the mind flare. But uh, one thing that I thought was really well done for Eleven was her mind meld with Billy to explore his reasons for being the kind of person he is. Because not only did it give him a little bit more humanizing of, you know, he obviously suffered a lot of abuse as a kid to make him the bully that he is in modern day. But also it made sense given his sacrificial moment in taking down the mind flayer, which really his death was his only possible redemption, I think, is like. There was no other way they were going to make him likable (laughs) other than having him sacrifice himself to save the others. Right. And we have to have those kind of characters for the story to have the meaning that that it can and probably should. Right. And especially since he really was part of the mind flayer and not so much personality wise Billy anyway for most of the season. So now I also want to talk about Will because, you know, he had the chills He had his desire to recapture his childhood. And although there was that great scene where he tears apart Castle Byers, was that enough, do you feel, to keep Will relevant this season? I feel like he didn't maybe have enough to do this year. There were some more nods to his sexuality, but not much else. And he doesn't seem to be important to the Mind Flayer at all anymore. Uh, He was just a target of convenience in season two. So I just kind of felt like Will could have been used a little bit more. Well, you could almost say that for the first two seasons as well. I mean, he certainly was important. Well, that's true. <laughs> but in terms of screen time. Yeah. Yeah. There's this great comic that Jody Hauser put together that follows Will, his journey through the Upside Down in season one. So if you ever want to check out maybe a speculation as to what happened to him during that t- time when he was trying to hide from the Demogorgon, that's a great comic series to check out. But I'll tell you, considering that I had those misgivings about Will, we had some great new characters this season in Erica and Robin. Now, I know you haven't gotten to the episode with Erica, but you've seen her, right? She's the one that has been asking Robin for free samples in excess. Yes. At the ice cream shop. <laughs> right. She's there with the, probably her little sister or. Well, her, her friends. She is uh, oh, the okay. little sister of Lucas. Okay. So now in season two. She just was the breakout uh, minor character that was very sassy as a young child and kept calling them nerds all the time on the walkie talkie. So the Duffer brothers thought, okay, we need this actress back. We need to give her a part to play in this new story. And boy, did she come out uh, full bore because she easily could have been 
really kind of awkward and weird and and her whole plan could have backfired just because she was precocious in season two but she was wonderful and her part in the adventure that started with her being small enough to climb through the air ducts in the mall was a brilliant play and even though she and robin knew nothing about 11 knew nothing about the mind flare or any of the monsters from the upside down they were only concerned with the russian plot and so this was a great way to bring in two new characters and ease them into it. <laughs> yeah, and no question. And and I assume you're going to talk about Robin next, who, I, again, I had no idea she was the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. Um, yeah, I knew I didn't know that at all. I only read that after I had finished watching the series. But of course, now the family resemblance is is very, very notable. But, you know, it's great that she was able to become basically what I think is the MVP award for this uh, season on her own rights. You know, there was no reason to associate her with her famous parents because she held her own brilliantly. Her code cracking and subsequent excitement for amateur spycraft was just a great way to bring her in, just the same way it was great to bring Erica in with her uh, sort of tangential knowledge of what was going on. And, you know, although her conversations with Steve about how dumb the Russians were when they were captured, it did feel kind of like an excuse for narrative holes. Like, oh, they were so dumb to leave us so near that scalpel. And they were playing on tropes of movies from the 80s. And so I think the writing, they were trying to give a a nod to some of those things that we always see, those plot devices we always see in movies. But at the same time, it was an excuse for them to use those same tropes and kind of make the Russians seem like bumbling idiots sometimes. Oh, well, right. And that's what I liked about the whole translation sequence with Robin, that the the progression of it made some sense. You know, not that she spoke Russian, but you know, her approach to it was methodical. And well, that's true. You know, OK, maybe there were a le- there was a leap or two here and there, but but it, it was OK. It and, made well, sense. The, the code itself was kind of ridiculous when you think about yeah. the existence of the code to tell when the deliveries were being you know, delivered. But I don't know. Uh, I still liked it. It's just kind of, I feel like the Duffer brothers are kind of using some of the cheesy plot devices from the eighties to smooth over their own use of them <laughs> to a certain extent. But the Russians themselves, of course they were colossally stupid and attention was very much divided for the audience between the military head on the one hand You've got the Terminator-like tough guy that's going after Hopper. You've got the scientist, Alexi, who's trying to figure things out and is able to be brought to the good side of things. Uh, You know, his arc with Hopper, Joyce, and that wonderful return of the character Murray from season one, very enjoyable. And of course, we were all sad to see how Alexi ended up. But there was a lot of fracturing for the Russians as villain. So you had Billy as the villain. You had the Russians as the villain. I think all in all, the Mind Flayer and Billy were the more effective villain in this case. I don't think the uh, government group has been as good as the monster since season one when we had Matthew Modine as Dr. Brenner. Right. Now, do you think uh, the current generation, you know, kids that are in their teens, maybe early 20s, that clearly did not live through the 80s, do you think they get all of this that that we're talking about? (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question because – they may see that as a deficiency when I say, oh, it reminds me of the 80s movies that had these same plot devices. 
do they see them as, as plot holes or do they still enjoy them on the same level that we did in the eighties? <laughs> yeah. It's like when kids these days go back and watch the original star Trek and they look at you like, are you kidding? Well, I wonder like, do they go back and yeah. watch ghostbusters or Ferris Bueller's day off or any of the movies that showed up on the marquee <laughs> in the uh, movie theater, like cocoon <laughs> and, uh, what else was showing? Pee Wee's Big Adventure, a bunch of stuff from 1985. Yeah, probably only if their parents make them. A lot of great, yeah, a lot of great movies that year, but what would today's youth think of them? I don't know. But obviously there's some great secrets going into season four. I have to wonder how the Russians knew about that breach to begin with, because of course they weren't getting it done in Russia, so they had to come to Hawkins because of the fact that in Hawkins, they had already broken through. So there was a weakness, a weak point, you might say, between the two dimensions. How did they know about that? Yeah, that's my question. You know, and this brings up the question, who is the American that they still have in captivity that was mentioned at the very end of the finale? And is that maybe tied into how they knew about the breach? Because there's been some speculation that perhaps Dr. Brenner is behind that door. But also some people think it might be Hopper. Obviously Hopper was stuck in that chamber when, when Joyce blew the whole thing. And so the conclusion that we would have to make is that Hopper is dead, but maybe he's not. We didn't actually see a body. You know how we always talk about that, Dave. If you don't see a body, it's not necessarily the end of that person, right? That's right. So maybe Hopper is behind that door. I don't think so, but... I do like the Dr. Brenner theory. <laughs> and then of course, where did the Russians get a Demogorgon? And I'm actually very happy to see the Demogorgon as a return for perhaps season four, because the mind flayer was great and everything, but I wasn't a big fan of the Demodogs in season two. I mean, the Demogorgon in season one by itself, even though it was one creature was the scariest by far of any of the villains that they've given us in stranger things. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. Yes. I agree with you. I, the the demodogs did not do it for me. No. So, can't wait to see what they do with that. The questions that always lead to tons of speculation during the hiatus. So, Stranger Things has definitely not la- lost its magic and in fact, I think and I definitely said this in my spoiler-free review that you can see on Den of Geek that it's definitely an improvement on season 2. So, Another great year for Stranger Things. And now we just have to wait for, what, another year, year and a half, two years for season four? That's just the way it is with yep. with that show. <laughs> All right. So what do we have coming up next? It's uh, time for a discussion topic, yes? Yeah, Mike, we're going to talk about actors that we know in current genre television shows that are you know relatively high profile. But we're going to go back to their past and see some shows that they were in before they were famous. So uh, some great things that uh, that we're going to talk about. Can't wait to talk about. That. Yeah, they popped up in our research and we put a little qualifier on it for ourselves. They had to be genre television stars currently or well-known ones from the recent past that were in other genre shows earlier that weren't necessarily quite as good as the ones they became known for. So I can't wait to hear also what our listeners come up with on our Facebook group to share with the discussion because we came up with some great examples. So that's next Sunday. Definitely look forward to that one. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. 
And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or send us an email at scififidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.